Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Greetings to all of you. I want to welcome all those watching from different venues here at Central Campus, as well as those uh, watching us online. And as Kent was mentioning about the increasing number of online audience, on a day like this, I was wondering if it's okay for me to speak from my living room to all of you. We have technology to make it happen, right? <laughs> Today I'm starting a mini sermon series that I'm calling Through the Wilderness, and we'll be looking at the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy every time I speak over the next few weeks. Christians all through the ages have had a common experience, the wilderness. In fact, the wilderness theme runs through the Bible. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, Elijah, John the Baptist, and even Jesus spent time in the wilderness. What do I mean by the wilderness experience? The wilderness is a place of God-appointed testing and trial. It is a season of preparation for what God is about to do in your life. In his book titled, The Land In Between, author Jeff Mannion talks about how a single sentence can disturb your normal life. Your position has been eliminated. I don't love you anymore. The tumor is malignant. Mom, Dad, I'm pregnant. I'm having second thoughts about the wedding. Dad, I'm at the police station. Your mother and I are getting a divorce. We're moving to a new city. We think mom's had a stroke. How soon can you get to the hospital? Before you know that one sentence can change the terrain of your life drastically, and you find yourself in the wilderness. The book of Numbers in the Hebrew Bible is actually titled, In the Wilderness. It records the journey of the Israelites after their great exodus from Egypt. God delivers them from slavery and leads them through the wilderness to prepare them before he takes them to the promised land. God's intention clearly is not for us to live forever in the wilderness but he uses our time in the wilderness to shape us and mold us so we can reach the ultimate destiny that he has in mind for us. Interestingly, in the Hebrew language, the root word for wilderness could also mean speak or word. It is in the wilderness we often hear the word of God. God gets our attention and he speaks to us personally. The wilderness may seem like a barren place on the outside, but at the same time, some of God's most powerful transformative work happens in our life in the wilderness. Radical spiritual change often takes place in the tough seasons of life. And how long we will remain in the wilderness depends on how quickly we learn our lessons. The journey from Egypt to the Promised Land should have taken the Israelites only 11 days. But as you read the Bible, it is amazing to realize that it actually took them 40 years. 
until the entire generation perished, except for two individuals, Joshua and Caleb. So in this series, we are going to look at uh, navigating through the wilderness so we can reach the ultimate destination God has for our life. For today, I want to focus on uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1. Let me give you a quick context. An entire generation had uh, perished in the wilderness because of sheer disobedience. Moses is now addressing the new generation, every one of them under 20 years of age, who are on the verge of entering the land of promise. These are Moses' uh, final words to the new generation before he would die. And in his first speech that we're going to look at today, Moses reviews the failures of the past generation and how they missed out on an incredible opportunity. They were at the threshold of the promised land, the land that God had promised to their ancestors. The promise was all set to be realized. But the people succumb to their fears and they squander a God-given opportunity. So with this in mind, we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 19 to 36. May I ask all of us to stand as we read from God's word. Then as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb and went toward the hill country of the Amorites through all that vast and dreadful wilderness that you have seen, and so we reached Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Then all of you came to me and said, let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we ought to take and the towns we will come to. The idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it. Taking with them some of the fruit of the land, they brought it down to us and reported it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. But you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us, so he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say, the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who's going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. And the Lord heard what you said. He was angry and solemnly swore, no one from this evil generation 
shall see the good land I swore to give your ancestors, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Lord, we thank you for the many examples in the Bible, both good and bad people from whom we can learn many lessons today. God, we ask that you will speak to us as we look into a narrative that happened centuries ago, that you will make this applicable for us, relevant for us, that you will teach us to face our own fears by trusting in you completely. So we ask, Lord, that you will use this time to minister to us in the power of your Spirit. We ask this in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. If you walk into most office buildings, chances are you will see these uh, motivational pictures on the walls. A photograph of a beautiful scene of nature or a stunning athletic image, perhaps a soaring eagle or a pole vaulter just clearing the bar. Below the photograph is usually a single word caption, persistence, hard work, vision, and along with that is a small inspirational quote. There's a website called despair.com that specializes in the exact opposite. They offer breathtaking pictures, but below the picture you find humorous, sarcastic, demotivational quotes. Let me give you a few. Teams, together we can do the work of one. Believe in yourself, because the rest of us think you're an idiot. Uh, then there's a picture of a hot air balloon with the caption, dare to soar with enough hot air, even losers like you can fly. <laughs> Government, if you think the problems we create are bad, just wait until you see our solutions. <laughs> Despair, it's always darkest just before it goes pitch black. And there is this poster that depicts an ocean scene with a lone sunken ship protruding from the water. The caption, mistakes, and the quote, it could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. Now that poster is particularly fitting as we look at the desert wanderings of the Israelites. Many events from the Israelites' wilderness experience seem to serve as warnings what not to do when you're in the wilderness. So our text opens in verse 19 with these words. Then as the Lord our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb and went toward the hill country of the Amorites through all that vast and dreadful wilderness that you have seen, and so we reached Kadesh Barnea. If you study the wilderness experiences of people in the Bible as well as in history, it appears they usually follow the mountaintop experiences. A season of spiritual high is sometimes followed by a season of spiritual lows. David wins the battle against Goliath, but soon had to go into hiding because he was hunted by Saul. Elijah defeats the, the prophets of Baal and had to run for his life because of Jezebel. Even Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan River and the Holy Spirit comes on him like a dove. He hears words of affirmation from his father. And right after that, Jesus is sent into the wilderness 
to be tested and tempted by the devil for 40 days. In the same way the Israelites had experienced major spiritual breakthroughs. God himself saw their sufferings in Egypt and he personally intervened and rescued them from the iron hand of Pharaoh. They witness one miracle after another. God makes a way for them to walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. God gives them the Ten Commandments and makes a covenant with them. I will be your God and you will be my people. And after all that series of spiritual highs, we see that they are now going to be tested in the wilderness as they walk through a dreadful, barren stretch of land. It was a journey of about 100 miles through a dusty, dreary desert. You know, if you think about this, God could have supernaturally planted them in the promised land. He could have changed the wilderness into a garden and made this whole journey comfortable and easy. It's no big deal for God. But it appears in God's equation The way to the promised land is through the wilderness. And that hasn't changed even today. The wilderness is an inevitable path that we need to take in order to reach the destination God has in store for us. It serves as a pathway to the accomplishments that God has with your name written on it. The people of Israel, after a few hiccups, arrive in Kadesh Barnea. They were standing at the gateway to the promised land, at the cusp of making history. Hear the words of Moses in verses 20 and 21. Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. This was the long-awaited moment. They are right at the threshold of a great conquest. History books would write down the name of this generation. The promise that was made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was finally going to be realized. And Moses is telling them, the Lord has given the land to you. It's in front of your eyes. Go and take possession. It's all yours. To add words of reassurance, Moses says, this is a new territory But do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Do you know what is the most repeated exhortation in the Bible? It's do not be afraid or do not fear. It says it over and over in the Bible because fear is such a common human emotion. It is a natural human response to danger. And in that sense, fear is helpful and sometimes necessary. When you see teenagers driving a car at 130 kilometers an hour on a highway, you wish they had some fear and a little bit of sense. But fear can turn into a sin when it starts paralyzing you and prevents you from walking in obedience to God. You know, how many God accomplishments with your name written on it remains unfinished today because you were paralyzed by fear? The Israelites were afraid, so they decided to come up with a plan to make them feel better. Here's verses 22 to 25. Then all of you came to me and said, 
let us send men ahead to spy out the land for us and bring back a report about the route we are to take and the towns we will come to. The idea seemed good to me, so I selected 12 of you, one man from each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshkol and explored it, taking with them some of the fruit of the land. They brought it down to us and reported, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Now here's an interesting question. Whose idea was it to send the spies to explore the land? Our text in Deuteronomy clearly tells us this was the people's idea. They thought that God's promise was not enough, that they needed additional evidence in order to bolster their faith. And take note of the contrast here. Moses says, the Lord your God goes before you, and the people are saying, send us men before us. So rather than finding their security in God, they were finding their security in humans. Now, while our text in Deuteronomy is clear in saying that the people asked for the spies to be sent, we have a quandary when we look at the parallel narrative in the book of Numbers. Because Numbers 13, verses 1 to 3 tells us, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites, from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran, all of them were leaders of the Israelites. So we go back to this question. Whose idea was it to send the spice? Was it God's idea? Or is it the people's idea? As you bring these uh, two accounts in Numbers and Deuteronomy side by side, this is how we reconcile what seems like an apparent contradiction. The people initiated the request to Moses to send the spice. Moses, in turn, checks with God and gets the approval from God and the instructions how to do it. So God is making a concession here in order to accommodate his people's weak faith. It wasn't God's original idea, but he concedes to the idea which seemed reasonable from a human point of view. But it would have been better off if they had trusted in God's promises rather than in their own cleverness. Human cleverness can sometimes come with a price. And as we see, this idea backfired. The spies who explored the land confirmed that this indeed was a land flowing with milk and honey. They brought back fruits like figs, pomegranates, and a single cluster of grapes that's so heavy that two men needed to carry it. This was exactly the land God had promised, a fertile, resourceful land that felt like paradise on earth. But the spies did not stop there. They gave their negative descriptions. So Numbers 13 tells us, but the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. The Nephilim is a giant race, and many believe that uh, Goliath uh, came from that people group. 
So the Israelites were confronted with two different bodies of evidence. On the one hand, they have a promise from God and a land with potential or flowing with opportunities. And on the other hand, they have daunting challenges that make the mission seemingly impossible. That, in fact, is true today. If you want to step out in obedience to God, you will always be confronted with two different bodies of evidence. And how we respond at this juncture becomes so critical. Are we going to step out by faith or are we going to cave into our fears? What did the Israelites do? They succumbed to their fears. So Deuteronomy 1, 26 to 28, Moses says, but you were unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They say the people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. There were two things they saw that caused their heart to melt in fear. The people of the land are stronger and taller. They're so big and so strong that we look like little grasshoppers in their eyes. And the second thing they saw was the cities are fortified and the walls go up to the sky. Now, fears cause you to exaggerate your problems. So they concluded the walls go up to the sky. Surely they are impenetrable. The ten spies looked at the people of the land and they saw giants. They looked at the cities and saw impenetrable walls. They looked at themselves and saw themselves as little insects. Oh yes, there, was, there were a few giants in the land, but the most formidable giant was the one inside them, fear. And fear has this amazing ability to weaken our reasoning, and it spreads like a virus. The people were carried away by the negative report they heard from the spies and concluded we will never be able to take over this land because of the giants that, are, that live there. You know, if we are not careful today, we can be guilty of making the same mistakes as the Israelites. When God calls us to step out by faith, how often we evaluate the risks from a human point of view and squander the opportunity to serve and advance God's purposes. What do you do when God prompts you to share the gospel with a neighbor or a coworker? What do you do when God challenges you to trust your finances and give generously? What do you do when God calls you to take on a leadership role in the church or open your home for a community group to meet? What do you do when God places a burden on your heart to go on a mission trip? What do you do when the doctor calls you with an ominous health diagnosis or your marriage goes through a crisis or you are facing problems at work? Do you let fear rob you of the destiny God has in mind for you? Or is your faith and confidence in God rock solid? Among the 12 spies, 
two of them had the sense to look to God first before they looked at their problems, and it put everything into perspective. And they concluded, it doesn't matter how huge the oppositions are. Our God is well able to give us the land. And we're going to look at the life of uh, Caleb next weekend and see how different Caleb was from the rest. But this is what we learn from our text. When our view of God is small, then our obstacles seem to loom large. When you have a restricted, narrow view of God, you succumb to your fears. The church today needs a fresh, new revelation of who God is. Our God is greater than all our spiritual oppositions put together. Our God is so great that He's beyond our fears, worries, and anxieties. Our God is so awesome that we can be confident His agenda for our world and for our life cannot be thwarted. And I was reflecting on this at the start of the new year. The church in Canada is poised at that critical juncture where we are facing two different bodies of evidence. On the one hand, we see incredible opportunities all around us. And we have the resources to not just impact Canada, but we can impact the whole world. And God is at work in our country. He's bringing the the nations to Canada so we can make disciples of the nations in our own backyard. The harvest is truly rich. On the other hand, we also have a different body of evidence that tells us of the incredible challenges, daunting oppositions from the government, from a secular culture, and spiritual apathy that is so widespread in our society. Church attendance, belief in God, prayer, and Bible reading continues to decline steeply. The hostility is clearly increasing all around us, and we as believers can feel the heat. Now, which body of evidence are we going to place our faith in? The most important question at this critical juncture we should be asking is not how big are our challenges, but what is God calling us to do? For it doesn't matter how gigantic are the challenges, there's only one thing God expects of us to walk in obedience to him and leave everything else in his capable hands. And we as the church, we need to rise above these intimidating forces that are all around us. And by faith, we need to latch on to the vision and destiny that God has for us. And some of us, we need to start believing the words of Jesus that he is in the business of building his church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. See, the moment we believe that from our heart, we will see a fresh new movement of God in our midst. I want to show you now from Moses' response how Moses uses three different images of God in order to help the people face their fears. We can learn a lot from these three images. Look at verses 29 to 33. 
Then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the wilderness. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. Moses uses three word pictures to describe God. God is a warrior who fights our battles. God is a caring father who is trustworthy. And God is a dependable guide who will not mislead. Let's look at each one of these briefly. First of all, God is a warrior who fights our battles. The very first thing Moses reminds them is the Lord your God who goes before you will fight for you. The way to face your fears is to allow God to fight your battles. And that is what the Israelites had experienced all along in Egypt. God fought on their behalf and the armies of Pharaoh were no match to God. You know, at one point, they were staring at an impossible situation. On the one side were Pharaoh and his army bent on taking revenge with the ability to annihilate them. On the other hand were, was a body of water making no, the way of escape impossible. So trapped between these two sides, they were in a despairing situation that looked so bleak, so hopeless, there was no way out. And in the midst of that, we find here in Exodus 14... Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. God fought for his people and made a way for them to walk on dry land. Now, standing at the threshold of the promised land, all Israel needed to do was to remind themselves of their history. The Lord who triumphed over the gods of Egypt. The Lord who crushed Pharaoh and his chariots. The God who parted the Red Sea was fully capable of handling the giants in the promised land. The next time you run out of options, Meditate on the works of God through history. Surely it will encourage you. Because God is a warrior, there is no lasting defeat for a child of God. Victory is guaranteed to us because God knows how to fight his battles. Let me ask you, who's fighting your battles? The second image Moses provides is God is a caring father who is trustworthy. So the image shifts from a warrior to a more intimate image as Moses compares God to a father. As the Israelites journeyed through an inhospitable desert, God carried them like a father carries his children. He took care of their needs, food, water, clothing, they had enough. They lacked nothing. 
Now, when we realize that we are safe in the arms of our Father, what is there to be afraid of? People think the opposite of uh, fear is faith. But I think the opposite of fear is love. The Bible actually says, perfect love casts out fear. You know, when our little kids have a bad dream in the middle of the night and they come to our bed running, which happens frequently in our home, we don't give them a pep talk. We don't tell them, come on, you need to be courageous. You need to face your fears. Rather, we put our arms around them and we hug them and we reassure them. And as we pour our love into them, it casts their fear away. That's what God does when we call on him in our time of need. He pours his love and reassurance in our hearts and he calms our fears. Our fears are needless when we are under the care of a protective heavenly father. The third image Moses is using is God is a dependable guide who will not mislead. Day after day, God journeyed with the Israelites as a pillar of cloud during the day, shielding them from the blazing sun, and a pillar of fire at night, giving them light in the pitch-dark desert. God himself made a personal commitment to walk with the Israelites. And the pillar is a picture of God's faithfulness in the life of a believer. God has personally promised to be with us in our journey. The great promise of God is not to shield us from troubles, but to keep us always in smooth terrain. The Bible doesn't promise that Christians will be cancer-free or that we will never have a miscarriage or go through financial struggles. But one thing God does promise is to faithfully walk with us every step of the way. We can face our fears, not in isolation, but with the help of our God. Knowing that he walks with us makes all the difference. And knowing all of this, the Israelites rejected God's offer to take them into the promised land. The entire generation continued to wander in the wilderness until they all perished. In these 40 years, the adults who saw the miracles in Egypt, who experienced God's provision in the desert, refused to grow in their trust and saw their own demise. Joshua and Caleb, who speak up for God, were the only surviving adults of an entire lot of over a million people. If you look at the bottom line, what Israel had ahead of them was not a physical or military battle. This was a spiritual battle. Will they trust God completely? The question God will ask us repeatedly in the wilderness is the same question he asked people in history who walked through the wilderness. Are you ready to trust me? In the barren landscape of the wilderness, God desires to forge a relationship of trust. Pastor Craig Groeschel points this out and I fully agree with him. 
if you have a persistent fear in a particular area of your life, it is a clear indicator you're not trusting God to handle it. In other words, what you fear the most is where you trust God the least. What is your biggest fear today? Are you willing to give it in God's hands and let him handle it for you? Let me close with this story. A few months ago, I was part of a commissioning service for a couple from our church, a husband and wife and two teenage kids. I can't give their names because uh, in order to protect their identity. The family had come to Canada a few years ago from a part of the world where it is very difficult to preach the gospel. And after a few years of reasonably comfortable living in Canada, the husband sensed that the Lord was calling him to make a difference in the part of the world where he originally came from. And as he was praying about it, a door miraculously opened for him to take on a key position in a Christian organization in the Middle East. That would mean that he had to travel to some of the hardest countries in the world that has the maximum resistance to the gospel. And in that commissioning service, as a few of us gathered around that couple, there wasn't a dry eye in the house as we laid hands and entrusted him to God's sovereign care and protection. You know, as difficult as this was for him, it was harder on his wife. What if something bad were to happen to him? How will I raise my kids on my own? And on that day, the wife cried out to God, confessed her struggles, faced her fears, and she laid her husband on the altar like Abraham laid Isaac, and she released him for the purposes and the plan of God for his life. And in the middle of the prayer time, the wife, in the midst of her tears, broke into a song, and she sang loudly, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. And she sang those words over and over and over. And in that moment, I witnessed a miracle take place. The shackle of fear in her life was broken, and she realized at that moment her God is trustworthy. That is the encouragement I want to leave with you today. We are no longer slaves to fear because we are children of God. Our Father promises to carry us on His shoulders. He will fight our battles and nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from His faithful presence. So don't ever allow fear to become a stronghold in your life. I could ask all of us to stand as we come to an end. I would ask us to maintain a moment of silence where you can reflect on what you've heard from God. And I know there are some of you here you're battling major fears in your life. 
fears that are holding you back from God's assignments. And this is a time for you to ask God to strengthen you on the inside, to face your fears. This is a time for you to trust God completely with whatever is bothering you. So let's maintain a moment of silence where you can have a private conversation with God. And after that, I'll close this in prayer. Before I pray, I want to leave a promise for you from the Bible, Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let us pray. Father, we hold on to your promise during this time. There are times in our life we face two different bodies of evidence. We pray, God, that you will help us to walk in obedience to you and not be deterred by our circumstances or the outcomes that we are not in control of. But by faith, we pray that we will be sensitive to your voice and to your leading to go where you call us to go, to do what you're calling us to do, and not allow fear to shackle us. I pray, God, for every person here in this place, that we will experience a deliverance that comes from knowing you and knowing that we are your children, that the chains of fears will be broken, that you will release us and set us free to the destiny that you have in mind for us, that nothing will keep us back. And I pray that for our church, that we will not be comfortable in our safe existence, but you will help us by faith to follow your leading and to take new territories for your kingdom that your spirit will move in a fresh new way here at Sunny Street Church, that we will see great breakthroughs, multitudes of people coming to Christ and the kingdom of God advancing. So we hold on to you by faith. And even as we leave this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of our Heavenly Father, and the sweet, unfailing fellowship of the Holy Spirit may rest and abide with each and every one of us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.